every growing system has two components. You have the soil system or the source of nourishment and then you have the environment in which it grows, the, the environmental conditions that have that uh, impact it. Okay, so we need to look at that. We need to look at what those environmental influences. Uh, let me just give you an illustration, for example, uh, here, because we're going to have to discuss what and why is this relevant. Can you build a wall high enough to exclude weed seeds from blowing into your soil? Or excluding insects from flying in, or, or disease spores from landing on there? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, the practical reality, now there are means, and I use them, there are means of modifying the, the influences of the, the climate. You know, you can build a greenhouse and, and have, uh, extend the growing season because you make it warmer on both ends, or in some cases you can, uh, I was looking at some research from a, a greenhouse manufacturer that has a test greenhouse in Mexico where it's really warm. And you know, most people when you grow greens, you don't think, well, you can grow them into the really warm weather because they just don't grow really well. well they were actually growing it in what would be 92 degrees. I don't know what that would be in Celsius. Uh, be in the 30s though, wouldn't it? Be in the, it'd be in the 30s, 30 plus Celsius. Um, but they, they were, you, the guy was leaning down and there had lettuce growing in there and you could hear the leaves just crunching. They were not well, you know, soft or wilting. They were crunching as he, he squeezed them. Well, they had the, it was a retractable roof greenhouse and the sides open so that they could put the thing entirely outdoors or not. This happened to be a dry climate. And so the problem was they weren't maintaining enough humidity. And so they actually closed, they, they closed the thing up the majority of the way. They had the roof part way open and, and the sides, and they were increasing. I had this in Colorado. The humidity would get so low that it was hard for the plants to grow. Um, and they were maintaining 92 degrees inside. But this lettuce was growing was beautiful because the conditions, the, 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 the environmental conditions were modified such so they could maintain the moisture, the humidity in the air, and the, the soil, the moisture in the soil, um, so that they could grow. So it does matter, these, these influences matter, and the better you understand them, uh, the better you can um, grow things. I will say before we get further into this, uh, you can't always control those influences. I had a friend this summer, and we dealt with this out in Colorado too a lot. He went, they went to church on Sabbath, in, up in South Dakota, and they went to church on Sabbath. Wasn't forecast in the weather, and when they came home, their entire crop was hailed out. I mean, just shredded. Now, the sad thing about it is the majority of it was in a greenhouse with a retractable roof, and if they had just known about it, they could have cl closed the roof and it wouldn't, wouldn't have done that. But some things are just out of your control. Now, the important thing about realizing this is God's not doing things deliberately to try to make your life miserable. We live in a world with, every, with other people, and you know a multitude of causes are put into effect. And sometimes they were put into effect you know, generations ago, millennia ago, not just... And we have this idea that when a cause is put into play, the effect happens right away. Well, sometimes it does. This is where we, we where we get tempted, is because we do something and it wasn't what we should do, but we really didn't get any consequence for it. You know, kids do this all the time, and it got, they thought they got away with it and everything. And I tell my kids all the time, I said, I said, you're cultivating a character that will eventually it will eventually 
the effect will catch up to you and everything. But uh, well, let's just look at that. I mean, how, how far back effects can go into play? Um, how long ago was it when Adam and Eve sinned? And the effect is still on us. Uh, what about Abraham? And choosing to ignore God and, and, or decide that he couldn't wait for what God wanted to do, and so he had a child with his servant. Are we not still feeling the effects of that? Um, how many things could we look at that... But the reality is that we live in a world where there's an aggregate pool of effects. There's not only our own personal you know, impacts because of the choices that we make, but our choices flow into a larger pool of, of choices that have their effects. And a lot of times we're affected in life not because of something we did, but because of what humanity is doing and we suffer the consequences. That why, that's why Jesus said to his disciples when they asked him, well, who sinned? This was a, you know, a wrong-headed idea about the whole idea of sin. You know, when they brought the blind man to him, who sinned? Was it him or his parents? Well, Jesus said it was neither. And um, he was suffering from the consequences of, of you know, who know, whose knows when the impact, the, the causes went into play that, that, that led to the effects of him being blind. Um, so it's important that we realize that the bad things that happen are not somehow or another God just playing with us. Uh, because a lot of these attitudes and ideas create the wrong character, you know, the wrong impression of God's character. And again, that creates the wrong spirit again. And it leads to a, a, a deformity in the process of growth. So um, the only thing you have control over is yourself. So what I recommend to people, the growers is, is that do everything you can with the soil because the soil is going to give you the maximum capacity to buffer the influences of the environment. It can buffer the extremes. As we'll see here, there's, the influences are weather influences, um, which are light levels, temperature, moisture levels, wind, pressure, um, and we'll look at each of those you know, briefly here. When, when we were out in Colorado, we lived at about 7,000 feet in elevation, and we had 300 days of sunshine a year there. Very little cloud cover and everything. We had 10,000 10, foot candles of light in the summertime on a daily basis, and plants only need three to 4,000 foot candles of light. We had uh, berry plants growing outside. I had a uh, 23,000 square foot greenhouse there too. And, but we had berries growing outside and we had them growing inside. And where the plastic on the greenhouse diffused the light, because there's radiant heat from direct, you know, direct light, and when you diffuse it, you scatter it all over and you reduce that leaf temperature. That was one of the reasons that the lettuce was doing well, because by closing the roof and maintaining the, the other conditions better, um, they were reducing the leaf temperature, the, the surface of the leaf. Um, but, you know, we had to actually reduce the amount of light that these plants were receiving, because it was over two times what they needed. And the interesting thing is, the difference in, in the size of the plants, the ones that were growing outside, we would generally get to about five feet tall. Um, now, remember I told you we had the, uh, we had the uh, sodium bicarbonate coming in the water, and so where we were irrigating in there, we had 
you know, we had that problem that was limiting the growth, but they were actually taller. They were inside, they were about six feet tall. But we had one raspberry plant, it was a golden raspberry plant that we had extra and we just put it in a grow bag and we set it along the wall in there. And, you know, in the mornings and the evenings there would be condensation and moisture would come down. So it wasn't getting watered by the irrigation water that had a problem, it was just getting wa watered with condensation coming down there. And inside the, inside the greenhouse, that, that raspberry plant grew um, 13 feet tall. This, the cane was this big around. And we picked 15 pints of raspberries off of that one plant on it. And there's more at play here, but, the, the, but you know, reducing the light level so it wasn't, you know, the plant has to co compensate for that stress. So it has to put on a, a thick, thicker waxy cuticle to, to block the, you know, a lot of the UV, the impact of a lot of the UV radiation. And so a lot of energy and resources go into, you know, the, the effects of, you know, how it feels if you're out in the sun all day long um, on a bright sunny day, warm sunny day. And of course these all interact with each other too. So they're not isolated things. So some of these things have more impact than others. So let's say you got high light levels, high temperature, low moisture, and a lot of wind. That plant, those plants are going to have a lot of stress on them. And that's going to take away. And here's where I'm going to talk about it tonight, but remember I said earlier that uh, nature will always maintain the highest level of function that it can without intervention. And so, you know, when you plant your gardens and everything starts out wonderful and it looks good and everything, and then all of a sudden you get into the heat of summer and all of that, and then everything starts to kind of go haywire, you just, you just broke the threshold of that, that system's capacity to maintain life without intervention. And so now it's going dysfunctional because it can't maintain it. The stress on it, stress on it is causing it to have problems. It can't maintain itself. Um, it's what's called hidden hunger. The plants aren't actually, the system is not actually as nourishing as it looks like it is. There's no reserves there. There's no, there's no cushion. And the important part of this is that um, we need to remember that as, as people. You know, are we as well nourished as we think we are? Whether it's physically or spiritually. So that when a crisis comes, and the stresses that are brought on by that crisis, what's going to happen? Are we going to fall apart because we weren't really prepared for it? And that's the, that's the danger of a lot of this. It's really important that we understand the realities of the natural system and the realities of our own lives because um, we get comfortable with the idea that everything's okay when it's not really okay. It's only okay for the, the, the level of exposure that we deal with on a day-to-day -day or normal basis. Um, I, I know this personally firsthand. I was, uh, I used to weigh 205 pounds. You know, normally I weighed about 205 pounds. Right now I weigh about 180 pounds. When I, when we first moved to Kentucky, um, I was, we moved there because there was a health center there. We wanted to help grow food for the, for their guests and everything. And I, st we didn't have a, a place to stay over the, the place we were going to buy. And so I was staying over there in temporary. And I was staying in a house that hadn't been, lived in for four years and the the well hadn't been used in, in um, four years 
And we, run, we ran water through it to flush it, but nobody bothered to check. In that part of the country, when they have a well casing, what I was used to is the casing came up above the ground and there was a cap on it. Well, in that neck of the woods, they put it under the ground, below the surface of the ground with a cap on it because they didn't want it to interfere with, you know, whatever. Well, at some point in time, somebody had knocked the cap off and all kinds of contaminants got down in that well. And I knew better, but you know, the devil has this way of just blinding, giving you know, this little blind spot just for a, a brief moment. And I, I was thinking, yeah, we need to bleach this well and, and uh, everything before we actually start using it. And then next thing you know, I was taking a drink to taste it to see how, because they said it was really, had a lot of iron in it, didn't taste very good. So I thought, well, I just tasted it a little bit. Well, the result of that was I got a cryptosporidium um, infection in my, you know, it took over my body. I dropped to 160 pounds. I mean, I thought I was going to die. I, I was sick for six weeks um, and everything. And that broke some things in my health that haven't even returned yet. And so I wasn't prepared. Now, nor, I don't think it would have been as big of an impact, but I had been a couple years, we, we had issues with water rights and everything, and I'd been a, going back and forth and looking about moving and stuff. And I, uh, I hadn't had my own food. We'd been growing on mineralized, you know, healthy soil and everything. I was having to eat somebody else's food a lot of the time because I just happened to be gone a lot. And so that lowered my, my ability to deal with it on top of it. Um, but you can see that you never know what's going to happen in life. And, you know, I very definitely wasn't prepared for that, that stress that, that happened. And, it, and it's had a long-term impact. And so we can become complacent about thinking everything is okay, everything is good, because we're really not dealing with a lot of negative, you know, we're not dealing with a lot of bad things or whatever. But what if you were having to deal with a lot of, a lot of bad things, which we are going to have to deal with things that, you know, are going to be extremely difficult. And people's hearts will be failing them for fear. And so learning this principle about, you know, we don't settle down somewhere, just say, oh, this is good enough, this is okay. It should be our continual pursuit to know how that we can, you know, maximize the, the health and vigor of our, our lives, whether it's physically or emotionally, mentally, spiritually, socially, strengthening our ties, you know, socially with, with like-minded people and everything. Um, so, because these environmental incidents, like I said, you're not necessarily going to be able to control them. You can modify some of them, but let's say temperature, like when the temperatures, like I said, if you combine these things, if the, what if the temperatures go too low for what the plants you're growing can handle? We actually, you know, when the, when, the, when the mineralization is right in the soil, the mineral load in the plant is higher and the freezing point is lower. So in order to buffer it, that's actually a buffer that happens because the higher the mineral content, we actually spray seaweed extract, you know, if we know it's going to freeze, because that lowers the freezing point. So we can usually go as far down as 24 you know, Fahrenheit from 32 uh, and not have damage if we do that. But the higher the mineral load is in the tissue of the plant already because it's, it's able to pull more from the soil, then the freezing point goes lower and also the ability to ha handle higher temperatures, it buffers that as well. Um, and so the, the reality is that it's gonna produce stress 
on the system, but that stress is going to be buffered and the capacity to handle that stress, if there's enough resources available, enough energy available, and enough other resources to handle that stress. Same thing with moisture. Moisture is, you know, what if you have to go, uh, I think I was telling somebody, um, we built, we have four ponds on our farm. We built three, we had one there. And all the people around there, we get 50 inches of rain a year. And they're like, what are you building all these ponds for? And that year we had uh, uh, one old timer that lived there. He said, you're smart doing that. He said, I remember a year when we went three months without rain in a 50 inch rainfall area. And that summer we went six weeks without rain. And if we didn't have the ability to irrigate from those ponds, then we would have lost a lot of, lost a lot of stuff. Um, so, but again, the soil can buffer this condition. Remember I said the higher the organic matter, the, the higher the organic matter content, the, high, the more water storage ability you have, um, the right porosity in the soil allows for the maximum ability of water holding ability in the soil itself. And so that buffers it. If you, if you have a, the capacity to hold five or six inches of moisture, in the soil, well, you can go five or six weeks without rain, with with uh, without too much problem. Um, so, if you that, again, it's buffering the, the conditions, the, the environmental influences here. Same thing with wind. Wind dries things out, and um, it can be uh, really hard on plants, especially in we're out in Colorado. There, wind the no wind was the exception. We and because it was because we were in a high desert climate, it was an arid climate, and so there you had tremendous solar heating. You know, it'd get, we'd lose heat at night and radiate back out into space, and then during the day when the sun would come up, it start heating the atmosphere again, and that expansion of the atmosphere from increased temperature would cause wind. And every day we'd have, you know, by the afternoon we had wind blowing. Um, so moisture. Remember, I said that moisture buffers that because it absorbs heat. And then at night it gives that heat back off. And so a little thing when you're growing plants, if you want to increase the, you moderate the temperature, you could just like fill jugs. A simple thing to do is fill jugs with water and put it around your plants. And during the day, the water absorbs that heat. And then at night it gives it back off. You can put stones around it, flat stones, and those stones will absorb heat and then give it off during, during the evening. Um, so all of these things, there's, there's different techniques to modify the influences of the climate, but the soil is the, mo the most important one, is getting all the things functioning at the highest level in the soil to buffer them. Um, and then pressure is, is not a, you know, it's not a big thing. It can be an influence, but uh, it usually affects these other things, and, and so that's why it, it has the influence. Okay, the other, the other thing you have to look at is contaminants. Uh, again, you can't unless you're going to like build that dome over, over everything. The, you you can't exclude all the contaminants. There is no such thing as clean soil on the planet anymore. I don't care where you live, or uh, you know what elevation you live at, how far out out in the bush, as you would say here, how far out you are. Um, there is no such thing as clean soil anymore. How do you deal with that? You know, because there's contaminants everywhere. And being certified organic, a lot of people, a lot of perceptions are created that somehow or another, well, this, people will always ask me at the market, and I've never been certified. We grow as naturally as we can grow. Our goal is to have things as natural and as productive as we can. But we have people ask us all the time, are you certified organic? And we say no. And 
you know, sometimes they give me the chance to explain why, and sometimes they just, you know, go on. Because why are they asking that question? There's, it's because they associate something with that. They associate that certified organic produces clean, nutritious food. Okay, and it may be true. I mean, the, the grower may be, the practices that the grower are, is implementing may produce very nutritious and, and clean food. Um, if the soil system is working well, you can actually, if you can balance the aerobic zone, you can actually grow plants on soils toxic with contaminants. Because what the plant does is it, it has the ability to selectively choose what it's going to take in. This is what the Bible talks about when it talks about rebuilding the wall or restoring the hedge. There, there's, a, there's a protective barrier in which you, it, it keeps out what you don't want in, and it keeps in what you want to keep in, and everything. And it selectively brings in what you want to come in. And so plants can actually grow in contaminated soils if you restore the conditions there that are required for life. And so, again, it's the soil, it's the condition of the soil that's going to play a role in how you can handle all the stuff that you're having to deal with in, in life now that you can't avoid. You can't avoid contamination. I mean, you wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend somebody buy a piece of property downwind from some kind of industrial plant that's dumping, you know, massive amounts of material into the water and into the air. And, I mean, you use your common sense on that, but, you, you know, we have stuff blowing over from China into the States. And we've got radioactivity on the West Coast now from, from Japan and all everything that happened there and stuff. You know, there, there's no wall you can put up to, to stop that from happening. And so, and some things we're just not going to stop from happening in this world. It's, it's falling apart. And uh, the, the key is to understand that and understand why things are happening and not to, not to blame it on God that somehow or another he's making our lives hard and it's unfair or everything. So that's another influence you have to deal with. And again, the soil will, will contend with that if you give it the ability to contend with that. And then if the plant's healthy, it can exclude those contaminants. Uh, partly, part of what happens too is the biology in the soil just degrades it rapidly. It rapidly breaks it down and removes it from the... And if you have high humus level, organic matter levels, it can, it can buffer it by binding, to, binding up to it. Uh, it can particularly do that with heavy metals. It can, it can bind them. And, uh, What's the problem in the city for any backyard gardens? Yeah, because you have, yeah, I mean, you have so much stuff. Uh, well, activated charcoal can can uh, absorb some things. Yep, absorb some things. So the carbon fertility again is, you know, it's it's buffering it, it's, it's tying it up or by it, what it's doing is surrounding it. You know, a lot of people have uh, problems with weight weight gain is your body a lot of times if it if it ingests contaminants and it can't do anything about it because it, your immune system is insufficient to to really deal with the whole problem it surrounds it with fat <laughs> that's why it's dangerous to lose weight rapidly too because all of a sudden if you have a lot of these toxins just stored up to to protect your body from the damage from them and you go into some radical weight loss diet or something like that you can really have some real, a real bad time as a result of that, um, because it's so again. But if you if you surround it in the carbon, that carbon matrix, and then something happens and that breaks down, 
then all of a sudden you're right back in a bad place and maybe worse because it accumulated it accumulated over time and so now you've got this huge load of uh, so it's better if you can if you can exclude it let it, it can be there but you just exclude it from having any impact on growth and life on it okay and the last one is as vectors um, and what I mean by that is you know when they first genetically engineered corn um, they, somebody said, somebody was concerned with, well, it's a wind-pollinated crop. How, how are you going to prevent it from spreading? Oh, it won't go that far. The, the monarch butterfly picked up pollen off a genetically engineered corn and carried it all the way to Mexico, where the foundation, foundation's uh, plants are for maize, for corn, and contaminated it. We no longer, except for uh, seed banks, we no longer have any uncontaminated native corn supplies because nobody thought about insects vectoring the pollen. Somewhere. It wouldn't, it wouldn't it, well, it was only as far as the wind could blow it. No, it wasn't. It was as far as the monarch butterfly could carry it. And so you could look at this, you could look at this in many, in many ways, birds, Migrate, you know, but that's when we, when you get short-sighted and narrow, you know, narrow-minded, narrow-focused about something, is you don't look at the bigger picture. You don't take into consideration um, the overall impact of everything, all of the facets of it. It's like when you get your nose up, so you start studying the bark on the tree. You can't even, you don't even know the, about the tree that's there anymore, let alone the forest that it's in. Um, so, and there are a lot of those. There, there are vectors for diseases. There are vectors for uh, contaminants, um, and it's not just the wind. You know, um, just a side note, uh, almost 90% of UFO sightings, you know what they are? Now, I'm not saying there aren't any, any real ones. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at all kinds of stuff going on behind the scenes with the, our governments and military and everything, but... About 95% of them were beetle migrations. Um, and that's been confirmed. You know, They migrate up at about several thousand feet. And when light reflects off of them, you get red and green and, and blue colors and, and everything. And, and so, but my point on that is, is that even these beetles, are, they're migrating. What are they taking with them? And what are they bringing back with them? And so, and you know, we live in an international community now, and so people moving from place to place and, and traveling all over the world and everything, nothing is isolated anymore. And so we, you can't, sometimes people get the idea they should isolate themselves from the world. Well, that's not what God called us to do. He called us to separate. So we need to separate ourselves, and it's more than just a, a distance that we separate ourselves. We separate ourselves in the way we think, we separate ourselves the way we act, um, the way we understand things. We separate ourselves. Because you could be out in the country. You know, a lot of people think they're supposed to move out into the country, but they take the city with them. I was, uh, you know, I, I bought a, a greenhouse out of auction. We had to go take it down, and we were staying at the campground. You know, I, I brought a camper down. We were staying at the campground where we were taking it down. Um, and, you know, when we go camping, we want to go out where it's quiet and all we hear is natural sounds and everything like that. And the first night we were there, it's like radios blaring and TVs and 
and everything you did. I mean, just people just brought it with them. They couldn't. Uh... So again, it comes back to it's a it's a character issue. It's a soil chemistry. It's a soil condition issue, and the admonition to seek first the kingdom of heaven and his, his righteousness, and everything else will be taken care of. That's that's what we need to embrace. We need to take care of the conditions in the soil. We need to take care of the conditions of our character, and that will take care, to the extent that it can, will take care of everything else for us. Rather than we're, we're, we're focused on the periphery at all the problems that are coming at us and everything, and there are so many problems coming at us right now that you're, you know, you've got to strengthen the internal environment here. You've got to, you've got to prepare it for, for, for all of that crazy stuff here. So anyway, um, this next slide, you may not, I don't think you'll be able to read it here, but I put this here because we're kind of to the tail end. And I, I kind of want to, you know, at the bottom there it says here, if you wish to produce food as medicine, this is where the medicine is. Okay, food should be our medicine. Food, should, to the best of my knowledge, there's four types of interventions. There's time buying interventions. And most of modern medicine is designed for that. And actually, most of the way we live is utilizes time buying interventions. They buy us time, but they come at a price. Those interventions actually do damage themselves in the process, but they buy us time. So uh, if you don't move to the next two that I'm going to talk about, then eventually the interventions themselves will, will wind up destroying you. Um, the second kind of intervention is a cleansing intervention. You know, it's cleaning things out, the contamination out that's there. But you remember the parable of the, the woman who had the demon cast out and she swept the house and cleaned it all up? What happened to her? Why? Why? What didn't she do? She didn't fill it with something better. She didn't fill it up with something better. Um, and that comes to the third type of intervention, which is a nourishing intervention. You know, we have to be nourished. Nourishment is healing. Nourishment is sustaining. Nourishment is restoring in its character. And we have to have those nourishing interventions. We need it on a routine basis anyway in order to be well. Um, but that's the, I mean, the ultimate intervention is divine intervention. Um, and I would never turn down divine intervention. Uh, but God doesn't always intervene because we don't understand a lot of times when we have problems, um, we, want, we just want to get away from the symptoms. We don't want to deal with the problems. We want to be free of them, but we don't want to understand how to change course so that we can eliminate that problem. And sometimes God heals us, and sometimes He doesn't. Uh, and I think it comes down to He knows what's best for us. He knows if He just heals, we'll just go right back to all the stuff that, that we were doing before that caused the problem in the first place because we haven't learned the lesson. Um, and so he doesn't, God is not um, just arbitrary. He's not um, trying to make our lives miserable or anything like that. And I think, honestly, when, when Jesus said that, that, told the disciples after the, 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 the Holy Spirit fell on them, that they would, you know, that they would do even greater miracles than he did. I wonder if those greater miracles were, were, and I don't say that it's not going to be that. I believe it'll be that too. Actual, you know, miracles, 
happen. But I wonder if those greater miracles were because we, we gained a greater knowledge of the ways of God and we embraced those and employed them and, and demonstrated to the world the miracle that, that life is. Um, and we could do greater things because we had gained that knowledge. I think that that's, that's what it is, not to exclude the fact that, you know, yes, there, we, we, there should be miracles uh, as well. But I think as time went on, God was revealing himself to a level that we could come to appreciate the science of the soil and how life is, 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 comes from it and the spiritual science of salvation and how life comes from that. That we gained a, knowledge, a working knowledge that actually was exhibited and demonstrated in our lives that could actually change, radically change people. Can you imagine if we would have embraced this a hundred years ago? And we were, we were healthy people that were fully functional and could offer that to the world. I mean, people would be pouring in to know, you know, how, what are you doing? Tell us all about it and everything. But sometimes we wind up following things just because somebody else did it. You know, like being concerned about nutritious food. We didn't, we didn't initiate that. Somebody else initiated that when we should have been that way all the way along. And, and another thing about the food is, you know, the whole idea, well, we should eat certain types of food. But nobody ever asks the question, well, what is the value of that food? You know, what about the substance of that food? Does it have any value? It may be, you know, it may be the best source of food because of where it is on the food chain and what God intended. He didn't kill, intend that anything should die. But, you know, Whereas, and this, the devil uses this against us all the time. He strips anything of any value out of it, and he doesn't care if we, we are vegetarians, if what we eat has no nutritional value to it, and it undermines, it undermines our health. Um, he's succeeded when, when we think that we've succeeded. So anyway, um, this is kind of the progression of how things, how things Im improve. You know, and I'll read up here because this is small and you probably can't read it. It says, optimal nutrition enables advanced function in plants. As soils and crops transition toward biological farming practices, and what he means here by is, is, is you know, biology actually becoming the ultimate arbiter of how things are going in the soil. He's not excluding chemistry and, and physics and, and the porosity and all those things. So they pass through stages of increasingly better health. The progression toward better health restores the natural and biological abilities of the plant and soil system. Innate characteristics and advanced functions are enabled, such as immunity to soil and airborne pathogens, resistance to insects, production of lipids which strengthen cell membranes for tastier, more storable fruit, and more. So let's go and we're going to work our way up how it progresses on this period. The first level is successful photosynthesis. The plant has to be able to fully photosynthesize to produce the maximum energy that it can. And when that happens, there's a formation of complete complex carbohydrates, not simple carbohydrates, but complex carbohydrates. Most organisms that cause problems cannot digest complex compounds. And so if complex carbohydrates are synthesized, you're going to eliminate a lot just in that. So the formation of complex carbohydrates, such as pectins and other polysaccharides which build resistance to soil-borne fungal pathogens such as Fusarium, Multinaria, and Verticillium. He's just listing you know, illustrations of some of these things. Um, when you get to the second level of this yellow, it's hard to read here, so it's, a, it's when production of complete proteins is initiated. In other words, 
nitrogen and other com compound and, and energy compounds are built in the, into complete proteins rather than just amino acids or free nitrogen in the plant. It actually builds them into complete proteins and not only complete proteins, but properly built proteins. You know, if they're not properly built, then they're not functional. And so complete and properly built proteins. The transfer of sugars through the roots to the soil microbes who release nutrients in a plant available form increase resistance to insects and uh, simple digestive systems. So a lot of your simpler organisms like aphids and, and white flies and thrips and um, mites and you know they, they require uh, simple compounds to consume. They have to have free nutrients like nitrogen, like nitrate nitrogen or simple sugars or simple fats, those type of things. They, and and uh, they can consume those things. When you, when you don't have any of them there, they won't bother your plant. Because if they were to eat those, uh, they couldn't digest it. It would turn to alcohol and... Uh, um, Alcohol, we see the proteins turn to, the sugars turn to alcohol and the proteins turn to uh, glycerin, glyc no, not, um, i trying to remember the compound here. But anyway, basically what you did, is you, you, you build a bomb and just blew them up. <laughs> they can't digest it and it kills them. So they won't eat there. They won't eat there and they just leave. Um, this happened with us with potato beetles when we got to the level where they could no longer eat there. They all came pouring in and they were all over the plants and we thought, oh no. And then we went out a couple of days later and there were none there. They just left because they, they, uh, they couldn't feed there. Okay, so that's the second level. And in the second level, resistance to aphids, white flies, and larval insects such as cabbage earworm, alfalfa weevil, tomato hornworm, and many others is, is developed. In the third stage, you have the storage of surplus energy. So in other words, you're producing from that first level more energy than you need. And so uh, what you're doing is you're, I can read this, let me read it off of here. It's easy to read it off here because um, it's really tiny. Energy is stored in the form of lipids, fats, and oils. Lipids build strong cell memories. In other words, the cell wall is built thicker. It's just built thicker. And I think I was hearing Ian talking about the calcium and silicon in the wall. You know, calcium silicate is cement. But it's built into a flexible matrix. And so when you get adequate calcium and silicon in the cell wall and a thick thick layer of the, the, the lipids, it's very difficult to penetrate. And actually calcium neutralizes the, the, the um, secretions that like fungal organisms secrete to break down. They, they want to dissolve the cell wall to get in. Well, calcium neutralizes it. As soon as they secrete it, they just neutralize it. And it may produce minor damage to the cell wall, but nowhere near the ability to penetrate into the cell wall. Um, so it builds strong cell membranes for increased resistance to all airborne pathogens, parasites, disease, and UV radiation on the plant. Okay, and at that level, um, you get resistance to downy mildew, powdery mildew, late blight, and others as well. Bacterial invaders such as fire blight, scab, rust, bacterial speck, and bacterial spot, just to name a few. You just eliminated that that problem. Um, number four, uh, PSMs, plant production of plant secondary metabolites. Has anybody heard of essential oils and the value of essential oils? Okay, we're at this level. 
Um, PSMs, or plant secondary metabolites, act as, a, as plant protectants to guard against ultraviolet radiation, disease, and insect attack. So I'm going to read this up here. Number four over on this side. The production of phytoalexins in stage four is based on the lipids produced in stage three, the surplus. You have to have a surplus for this to happen. If you don't have any surplus, it'll never happen. Um, these aromatic essential oils is what they are, of things we call like anthocyanins and, and uh, lycopene and lutein and these, all of these um, um, protector, protective compounds. Uh, they have listed are terpenes, phenolics, bioflavonoids. They're natural plant protection compounds that contain pesticidal properties of their own. And um, over here, it, it produces resistance to cucumber beetles, Colorado, Colorado potato beetles, Japanese beetles, um, production of advanced antifungal compounds and digestion inhibitors. Another way, it prevents organisms from being able to eat and digest the plant. Um, when you get up to that level, you've pretty much eliminated the vast majority of any kind of disease and pest pressure. But it comes from the pressed down and overflowing condition. There has to be surpluses that can be, that can be built into these higher level compounds. And that's why essential oils, people use essential oils. It's the big thing now is essential oils for all kinds of stuff. And they do work very well. The, they, they work very well. But again, if we, what? Yeah. Um, if we restore the conditions in the soil, then all these things that we're doing as externals are all coming. That's why it says down here, if you wish to produce food as medicine, all of that begins coming in the food that you're consuming. And so the, the protective um, compounds that are in the food. One of the interesting things, too, is these essential oils. Um, we have a problem with deer, you know, with wildlife. And we can eliminate all this other, but... You know, when we started growing there, and the, 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 they can tell. They're not like humans, boy. They smell it a mile away, and they, they come running for it. We go to McDonald's, and, and when we could have we had something better, but uh, the, the animals, they come. And so we just have started having, we, when we first moved there, and, and there's reasons for that, there wasn't a, really, a lot of wildlife around. It's just because the, 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 the ability to maintain life, to, to, to support life, and those conditions wasn't that great. It looked great. There's trees all around that are green. The grass is green. But um, in reality, the condition there was not very good. So we didn't have a lot of animals. But then when we started getting things better on, on the farm, deer showed up, and then rabbits, and what we call groundhogs or woodchucks. It looked like you know, a big rodent about that big. Um, we had raccoons show up, and you know everything started coming and eating. And so what do we... You know, um, but the interesting thing is when you get up to this level and these essential oils are being produced, they don't like it that well. And in addition to that, even if they do eat on it, they only need a really little bit of it. They don't. They don't need anywhere near as much as as they would normally eat to be satisfied on it. So. So anyway. Um, this makes me think about bees. So the quality of the pollen and the nectar coming out of the quality of the plant, coming out of the quality of the soil, is a great life cycle. We're having so many troubles all over the world with our bees. I know there's pesticides.
about some various things, but maybe this is a hugely significant factor in the health of the bee and why it's declining. Yeah, they're suffering under the same things that we're suffering under. They're malnourished. And on top of that, they're more vulnerable to a lot of the chemicals that are used in agriculture. And um, it's a serious problem because you know a lot of our food sources depend on depend on those pollinators. It's not just where we were out in Colorado. A big greenhouse, commercial greenhouse, went in just south of us. And most of our pollinators, we had we had honeybees. We didn't have our own honeybees, but somebody was keeping honeybees in the area there somewhere because we'd always have honeybees come in and pollinating our, our crops and everything. We had uh, bumblebees and several wild pollinators. But after a couple of years of that greenhouse being there, they were, they were spraying um, pesticides and they were using neonicotinoids in there. Um, they all just gone. We didn't have any pollinators, they were, which is within a couple of years. They just disappeared. They were... They, Yeah, you do, and, and parts of the world, they're, they're having to hand pollinate because they don't have enough natural pollinators to achieve it. Everything, uh, who was I there? We were talking about most of the problems, if not all of the problems that the world is suffering under, comes back to the condition of the soil or the condition of the character. You know, and the more you address those two things and correcting those conditions, the more those problems are going to go away. And it, and it it just ripples out and affects everything. Um, so I think that with that we're done. I think that's the last one. Yep. So I don't know how much time we have left, but does anybody have any questions? Rice and arsenic. Yeah, the, the the plant the plant just becomes more able to selectively choose out of the soil what it wants. Yeah. And because it it really what it does is the root and the plant on top it creates barriers that are selective to what's going to go in and what's going to co you know come in and what's going to go out. And so even though it might be at a higher level out there, um, if you, that, you can't address almost everything, so that you have to address those things that you can address to bring the, the chemistry to the condition and, and the porosity of that soil to the optimum level to give the plant the highest potential of, of controlling its internal environment. It really comes down to the ability to control the internal environment against the external environment and the envi these external or environmental influences. Um, and, you know, through this whole thing, I hope that I've got the point across that it's the condition of the character. Yeah. It's the condition of the soil that needs to be addressed. Um, and that's what we've been trying to look at in different ways throughout the whole thing. And as if, if we'll do those things, if we'll address those things, and we'll address them according to a correct model. You know, if we'll look at our character and, and light of Christ's character, if we'll look at the soil in the, in, the, in the light of a correct model that actually provides the conditions that are necessary for life, and then we, uh, like I said before, if we don't embrace those things, if we don't take those things in and make them part of who we are, just like if you, don't, if you, if you know what you need to do but you don't do it, um, it won't do any good.
And that's our part as Christians. We can't earn salvation, but God can reveal himself and, and we, can, we can take, we can receive that it, we, it, it's an imparted thing. And that's another thing I tried to emphasize in this thing. is It's an imparted thing. It's not something that is inherent in us. It's something that is imparted to us to change our character into the character of Christ. Just like imparting a different condition to the soil. It'll be what it is unless we put a different character on it. As we, and it'll revert back to what it was if, we, if that imparting ever stops. That's why we have to die daily and Christ has to live, you know, increase and we need to decrease. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.